Hey everyone, Jason here. If you haven't already done so, head over to the link tree in my Instagram or LinkedIn profiles and swipe my free worksheets. There's two, there's one for pricing and negotiation and there's a second for direct client marketing. That's Linktree with a full stop between the R and the E forward slash entrepreneurial translator. That's Linktree forward slash entrepreneurial translator. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to this new episode of the show. The show is called Turn Yourself into a Booked Out Freelance Translator. Your host is called Jason Willis Lee, who is um, me. And uh, I'm very excited. To, to welcome a friend, an old friend who I've known for many years, friend and colleague, and that is Dr. Karen Taxik. Uh, Karen, welcome. How are you this afternoon, this morning? Hello, hello. It's so nice to talk to you today, Jason. And yes, we have been friends for a long, long time. I don't know how far we go back, at least 15 years probably since we first I was met. I to say, I first wrote to you online, I think 15 years ago, about a Spanish agency and... Mm. Um, I think you gave me some very good intel. And then I saw you, I think, in Barcelona at the Alliar event. Oh, That's yeah. The first time I met you. And okay. uh, since then, we've got on famously. So, yeah. so thank you so much for, <clears throat> for coming on the show. My first question is, you've, you've recently transitioned from freelance employment into salaried employment. You're working for a company called Masterword. You're heading up the life sciences division, if I've understood things correctly. How? Mm-hmm. Did, give, give us a couple of pros and cons between freelance and salaried employment, please. Right. Oh, so for me, it was all about phase of life. So the pros of freelancing are all the freedom that comes from being free, right? I had an amazing career as a freelance translator, and it was exactly what I needed um, for the phase in life when I had three children to deal with. When I became a freelancer, they were one, three, and five. And when I became employed, that was about 18 months ago now, my eldest was just finishing up high school, and he was 18 and uh, I have since become an empty nester. So different phases in life call for different things. Um, I could have continued being a freelancer. It's not that I wasn't enjoying being a freelancer, uh, but pros and cons. Well, I I was kind of coasting. I was feeling like I hadn't grown much as a freelancer, uh, that I was doing the same thing. And, and, and of course, you can pick up new clients and do interesting volunteer work and all that kind of thing. But when it came to it, the pandemic uh, caused me to reflect in the way it caused many of us to reflect. And yes. one of the reflections was that there might be other things I could do that used both my subject matter expertise and my language services expertise. So that's why I made a transition. Pros of being employed. Well, there's, you don't uh, have cash flow issues, right? To the city, right? We all have cash flow issues once in a while as freelancers, right? You have to save up a cushion so that you don't have cash flow issues. But I had, I had my moments of failure in cash flow, like most of us, I think, do when we uh, when we are freelancers. What other pros? I have fre- I have a team. I was going to say friends, which tells you where I am on that front. I have a team. I have people to talk to every day. I'm pretty extroverted. Mm. So as a freelancer, I got, I, I've nourished my need for human contact by volunteering a lot for industry associations. Um, but now I have people. Um, and that is a pro for me. Wouldn't be a pro for everyone. Of course, you don't, would not like my 
meeting calendar. I have way too many meetings on my calendar for the liking of many freelance translators. Yes. But it's another phase in life, and I am loving this. It's a, it's a new professional identity, right? It, I, I am now employed by a language services company, but I'm loving that. I loved what I did before. I'm loving this. It's just a new phase. That's the way I look at it. That's a that's a great story. So, yeah, I mean, I got a feeling for your meetings calendar when we when we scheduled this. Um, <laughs> you're clearly very busy. You were clearly very busy despite being a full time mum and um, early on in your freelance career. How did you How did you book out? I mean, part of this podcast, right, is right, right. How to book out? How did you become? A yes. I was a booked out translator, was I not? Yes, I was for many many years. So. Um, the short answer is that people work with people who are easy to do business with. And I was Absolutely. easy to do business with. People like doing business with me. Therefore, they came back to me. Uh, but more importantly, or a longer answer, I think, is um, I was a highly specialized translator, which means I said no to a great deal of work, which obviously counterintuitive for those of you who are younger in your translation careers. Um and I didn't say no to every job in the very first year. Yes, I took the odd, weird and wonderful thing initially to get experience on my on my CV like everyone else does. Um, but I quickly only accepted work in the subject matter fields that um, that I know a great deal about yeah. and told everyone that that's what I did. So I got a reputation. I was the I was the French to English chemistry translator. There aren't that many of us. So whenever a medical translator was sent work that was just a bit too industrial, technical, chemical, all that regulatory stuff that they didn't want, they sent that my way. Uh, on the other hand, I sent them all that nasty clinical stuff and anything with patient records in it, anything clinical. I just didn't want that. I handed that off to them. So I became a booked out translator by being, by one, being specialized. So therefore getting a reputation quickly for something specific um, Two, knowing of doing that well. Right. Um, I believe that we're only as good as our last job. Right. I can have yeah. a great reputation as a freelancer and so can Jason or you or whoever else and or a really bad reputation, right? We all know people with great reputations and then people who we wouldn't really recommend. Um, but we are all only as good as our last job. So I, having had one or two of those quality assurance nightmares early on in my career, I stopped those happening and I became excellent at delivering every single job, the, the little ones, the boring ones, the, the, the exciting ones, you know, I treated every job seriously. And I think that kept me being booked out over the years, that approach. So that's a couple of different approaches um, that kept me booked out. Um, also, I, I just, I mean, I was willing to work hard. I was willing to work irregular hours. Irregular hours suited me. And when you're willing to do that, um, it means you can accept a bit more work than people mm. who like to work a very structured eight to four or whatever your very structured preferences um so yeah. that helped probably too that a little so, bit of flexibility on workload so clearly clearly you're very specialized you're a phd chemist i mean would you would you advocate niching down is that a, a, a sort of yeah. pathway to success as booking out to niching, niching down? <laughs> yes i think well i uh, you may know or your listeners may know that i have uh, 
taught the module for the Institute of Translation and Interpretation for many years on specializing. So I've been preaching specializing to the to the to new up and coming freelancers for many years. Yes. So do I think it's the sec- a secret to success? Yes, I do. I strongly believe that it was my secret to success, and that for most of us in most language pairs, it's the way to go. There are exceptions for for unusual language pairs and unusual subject matters um, where people are going to call on you. You know, if you're an, a, a tie into English translator, you're probably not going to be able to niche down, right? Not in the way that I am as a, as someone working in a, in a, in, in a larger language, not that Thai is a small language. I mean, if you're working in an indigenous Mayan dialect, you need to be able to try to do everything right there. There's a, there's a sp- spectrum there of, of language yes. size. Um, however, to your point, I do recommend that people get good at something apart from getting booked out. It means that you're much more productive because you don't have to do all that research every time you do a, a new job. Mm. You know the subject inside out. Yes. You spend, I, I used to hear about people spending hours researching terms. And of course, once in a while, you get something new or something, you know, an abbreviation or an, an acronym that's driving you nuts for a long time. But most of the time, I didn't have a great deal to research. I was already reading subject matter, you know, journal articles in the field, um, trade newsletters, you know, that were coming in the field. Um, I was reading that stuff every week. So I had a good exposure to it. And that meant I didn't have to research. So, I mean, there's lots of reasons for specializing. um, And that productivity is one of them. Um, And then there's also the confidence that comes from that. You know the gut instinct when you know the job is you've nailed it? Do you know what I mean by that, Jason? Yes, yes. So that gut instinct that you've nailed it, you also probably, we all your, everyone listening knows that feeling when you haven't quite nailed it, when there's awesome. a doubt. So it's, it could be yeah. about the subject matter or it could be because you really know you needed to proofread that one last time, but you're out of time and the deadline is up, right? Where you don't have that 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 gut instinct that you've completely mm. nailed it and it's flawless. Um I liked to have that feeling, you know, I wanted to go about my daily business having that feeling that this was exactly what was needed. Um, and, and that I think you only get from being a specialist. Absolutely. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You, you instinctively know whether you've turned up or not. And if you haven't, you, 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 you I always try to get sometimes the clock winds down and you do feel as if you want a, a final look. And that's uh, part of the job, the time pressure. It's doing it at the highest possible quality within the time you're given, isn't it? So let's right. move quickly on to, on to pricing. That was a fantastic um, uh, point on specialization you made. Let's move on to pricing. So mm-hmm. I, I talk a lot about business issues. A lot of our listeners are, are less experienced than you and me. Mm-hmm. So they're early career translators. It's particularly geared, I think, the podcast for first two years, first three years, perhaps. Yep. Um, so people, suppliers, trying to get their prices up. When you were freelancing, I mean, clearly mm-hmm. you're, in a, you're in a hybrid environment now. How, mm-hmm. What strategies did you apply to get your prices up from what yep. was presumably quite a good, good condition? To yeah, yeah. My, my start, well, my starting positions back in the day were um, the normal everyday agency rates for, for agencies in France or the US mainly. Uh-huh. Uh, had the odd agency in Spain or the UK, but so it was, and Germany, Switzerland. So let's say Western Europe and and the USA. That's where most of my work came from over the years. How I got my prices up? Well, new clients, right? That's the best way to get your prices up is to get it is to ask for slightly more with every new client you get. 
Um, so that is that was my number one method over the years. Um, in terms of actually raising rates with existing, so that and that means you have to market yourself, you have to be out there, you have to be responding to all the requests, you have to be applying to new agencies, you know, completing their application forms online all the time, all those things. That's what that meant. And over time, I, I when I, for many years I worked only for agencies. Um, for about the first ten years of my career. After that, I started adding in direct clients and 50-50 direct agencies, direct clients and agencies was a good mix for me. So yeah. so my rates over time were, my client balance over time was about 50-50. That was what suited me. So I never took an approach where, you know, January 1, I said, I'm raising my rates, take it or leave it to all my clients. Because for me, that was too risky. Because what if 80% of them said, leave it then, right? So yeah. I, uh, over the years have asked specific clients for a raise at various times. Uh, sometimes they said yes, and it meant they didn't send me work anymore. That happened with an agency. Uh, sometimes they said no, because if we do, we can't send you work anymore. Sometimes they said yes, but I can't give you three cents. I'll give you one cent. Sometimes they said you can't change your translation rate, but you can raise your hourly rate, right? So there's all sorts. Of, so in terms of negotiation, we're looking for comp- we're looking for win-win situation, right? You want more work from them. They want, you want them to come to you and you want to make more money. You want to feel good about it. So it might be that your editing rate can go up, but not your translation rate or vice versa. It might be that you, um, that you agree that you only do a certain kind of projects for them anymore, that they've got, you know, I don't know, for me, it might've been that they were giving me French to English translation, um, something I haven't mentioned here, but I also did English localization for years on and off, mm-hmm. uh, US to UK English localization right. for uh, for a much broader field of subject matter, right? You know, for um, so that I was doing forever for a few agencies where many years before they had dropped me for uh, translation because I was too expensive for translation. Right. Right. Um, I had a lot of translation companies that. Um, eventually just used me as editor instead of translator. They found other people do the, the cheaper people to do the translation and I was the mm-hmm. editor. So there are ways to make more money, right? Um, per hour. Cause I'm, it doesn't matter. The per word rate doesn't matter, right? It's about how much you're making per hour. So there are translation agencies where I was making a lovely amount per hour because of, because they were sending me work I understood that I had been doing for years and it was more of the same month after month after month and I can power through it with very strong terminology, uh, glossaries and and machine and, and um, no, machine translation, uh, translation memories. Mm. Um, so, I mean, I was powering through it at a very fast pace. So the, the hourly rate was fabulous, you know, no, so it didn't matter what the per word rate was. So that would be my tip to your to your listeners is think about how much you want to make per hour. Have that number in your head and track your data. Lots of the time, mm-hmm. translators don't know how much they're actually how to, how long it's actually taking because they right. pop onto Twitter during every hour of work yeah. and and don't focus on just the work. Right. So um, negotiation, it's a win win situation. You can you might have to lose something a type of work in order to gain something else. Um, uh, hand off those clients that you're passing down to other freelancers. I remember, I still remember the joy 
that I received from handing off. I, it was an Italian agency that I worked, did a lot of work for in the early years. And then I just had to, t- I had to increase the rate. And they had said, I can't, we can't, we can't, we can't. This is the most we can pay you. And I just handed it off to a newcomer one, one day. She was so happy because suddenly she had a nice big chunk of income and I was happy because I had plenty of work at higher rates by then. So I didn't know I, I was overbooked. So it was the right thing to do to hand off a client. So yes, you please the client and a, and a new supplier and a new translator. Right. So I've done that a number of times over the years. Yes. There was just one memorable one. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Very good point about the time management software. So I would recommend two tools that Karen mentioned. One is called toggle. And one is called Timestamp. Yep. And timestamp and I've used Toggle. Yep. Yeah, I can also I've second toggle. toggle. It's a great way. It's, it's in fact the main way I determined years back when I was doing a data analysis time, you know, I did a scary analysis of how much time at my desk was actually billable. That was yeah. not a, that was not pretty. I improved things after <laughs> I did that analysis. Um, yes. Yeah. Toggle is a great tool and it's free. T-O-G-G-L, yeah, that's, right? That's it, T-O-D-G-L, that's it. There's so much non-billable work, isn't there? Yeah, that's an absolutely um, guaranteed one to get the effective hourly rates. That's what the entrepreneurs mm-hmm. call this. It's the effective hourly rate, the EHR. So let's just talk briefly about inflation. I mean, how, how would you justify rate increases in this yes. kind of inflationary yes. environment? It's obviously very expensive, yeah. you, me, everyone. How do we yes. Do that? No, I think, so I think there's good news there. I think that translation companies are trying to raise their rates with their clients. Mm-hmm. I know that from the other side now, and I'm not just talking about my company. I'm talking, I was at Loke World uh, recently um, and uh, similar, you know, a buyer side conferences, buyer side language industry mm-hmm. events. Yes. And people are talking about raising rates. Okay. They know that the linguists are raising their rates. Freelance interpreters all over the world are raising their rates. Um, uh, translators are asking for, rate increases and 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 we all know we want to raise the that we we I think we all feel that we reached a bottom uh, a bottom uh, and that we can't go any lower and that we need to do something about that so i think uh, on the one hand um there's good news that the the good buyers are trying to help translators have a decent living right um and that there's moves to to, to change this race to the bottom pricing that we've seen in recent years. Yes. Um, and then secondly, you, you just, I mean, ask for a cost of living adjustment that try it and see if they'll say yes or no. Most companies will be raising their, will be setting their prices for 2023 right now, right? They'll be setting any new rate. I mean, translation companies, they'll be setting any rate changes, pricing changes for 2023 at the end of 2022. So, um, if you express to project manager, hey, I'm thinking I might have to raise my rates for next year, how would that go? Would you still be able to send me work? They'll tell you, yes or no. Mm. You know, ask, yeah. have the conversation. If you have, if we all have the conversation with each other, it's much more likely to happen, right? Than if we sit quietly and scared and don't raise the topic. Absolutely. So you can ask for a cost of living adjustment. You can ask for a raise due to inflation. However, it's put in your native language in the country where you're living. Because, um, yeah, we're all seeing it. I went to the supermarket last night and I groaned at the prices of a few things. It's like, this is not a 10% increase. This is a 33% increase. How can, you know, this is, we're I'm way beyond be. these small, the, these single digit numbers, which are very high, yeah. 
in in the in the ordinary grocery bill, right? Let alone other things. I don't have power bill issues. I know in some places there's all sorts of other issues that are much more significant than just your groceries and the energy. Food you yeah, eat. so that's great advice. So your your advice is effectively bite bite the bullet. Don't be scared. Have yeah, the conversation. Yeah, have the conversation. And and personally, I would have the conversation. Look, I'm thinking about raising my rates. Is that is that going to be is that something we can talk about? And and some uh, you know if half your clients say yes and half your clients say no, then you've won. Half your clients are giving you raise. Isn't wouldn't that be amazing? Yeah. So that would be how I would go about it. That's a great great advice. Okay, I think we'll leave it there because you've got a you've got a meeting to rush through. Thank you so much for for coming on. Thank you for your time, and I hope to <laughs> to speak to you again very. Very, very yes, good. we let's uh, let's hope for a, a conference in the same place in 2023 where we can catch up in person. That's so thank you for having me, Jason. It was a pleasure. Thank you very much for being here. Thank you. If you've made it this far through the podcast, hopefully you like it. If that is the case, please hit subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. And if you'd like to say hi, just head over to Instagram and send me a direct message. I would be very, very grateful. Thank you and see you next time.